Borat Dog Earthlets. Whoa. My name is Conrad, alongside my friend Fox, and this is the 103rd, or oh my gosh, the 203rd episode of Space Spinner 2000. I got, I got worried. Too I got many. very worried. Too many episodes. A podcast for two Americans trying to make sense of the UK's own galaxy's greatest comic, 2000 AD, one month of progs at a time. This episode, we're covering 2000 AD for June and July 1988. Progs 633 to 636. This time, we got a changing of the guard as Ooh. Slain and Zenith begin their quests, but leave the prog. Hmm. Um, Anderson meets a triad. Beyond Zero goes to the mall. Medivac 318 gets psychic. And Strontium Dog returns. Oh, I kind of get the triad part now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it'll, oh. we'll, we'll get further into it as the episodes goes by, but there are three of them. Yeah, yeah no, that, no, it clicks now. Mm. If you want to read along with this, you'll find the comics we're covering today in Judge Dredd, The Complete Case, Files 13, Judge Anderson, The Sci Files 1, Slain the Horn God, Zenith Phase 3, Rogue Trooper, Tales of New Earth 4, Strontium Dog, The Final Solution, and the Judge Dredd magazines 260 and 345, The Godfish Stories in 260, Tales of the Doghouse 345. <laughs> Godfish. Buh. <laughs> so, before we start here, Fox... <gasps> Um, we're gonna. I I just want to do sort of something I th- I think is kind of interesting about about this period we're entering in 2000 AD. I'll allow it. So, all right, <laughs> thanks, buddy. We're we're gonna see a bunch of top stories end this this episode, mm-hmm. and most of them w- 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 will be back in Prague 650, the big jumping on Prague yeah, in the it fall seems of 89. Like the thing. Yeah. So my theory about this fox, okay, is that um. The prog's about to change format, basically. Like, in 650, the amount of color stories in the progs uh, triples. So, we get th- we'll have three, three color stories and two black and white stories. That's great. Yeah. And the black and white stories are these big ones that basically, like, have us uh, – are, are booked to the end of the year. Like, it's, it's, it's Zenith and another big important story that, that, that are both going to have, like, 18 episodes or something oh, like that. Oh, that's great. So, yeah, but so it means that basically we've got all the like all this black and white stuff like sitting in the backlog basically. So they're that, just like letting it letting it sizzle for a second before they add it to yeah, the medley. Right, but but so what I mean is they're like we got to take some of these big things like Zenith and and uh, and uh, Slain out because we just we got to get these black and white comics out the door otherwise they're just going to be here for way too long. <laughs> And like the bosses are gonna be like, well, you seem like you got a lot of comics in here, you know, but like you aren't publishing them. What's going on? And because like eventually they will sort of, you know, even when the comic goes full color, they'll still have black and white stories occasionally. But yeah, you know, when the colors new, you don't want to pub. When, when all the colors new, you don't want to publish a black and white comic in that slot. You want to have ah, color comics in yeah, there. Yeah, exactly. And so I think that means basically, yeah, we're going to get a whole bunch of, of uh, different stories sort of like spending uh, – uh, playing them out real um, – just a lot over the next couple of weeks. So we're going to so get a nice hot, smorgasbord hot. Of, of weird random shit. That, that's exactly how I would describe it. Oh. There's going to be highs, lows, and creamy middles. Then, but that's why – my man, we are in – oh, sorry. We are in interesting – Top and bottom thrills country. <laughs> Absolutely. Listen, a lot of variance is what I'm going to say. 
But like, you know, it means we've got this new Anderson story that I'm really excited about. It means we're going to have the freaking Mean Arena sequel. Oh, like, no. Like, I think next episode. Oh, no. Like- <laughs> oh, no. I, I used to be so excited for you, Panther Psychic. Listen, you're going to get I, – I can't even get into it. But, I, yeah, it's gonna, there's going to be a lot. A lot of stuff. Some, something – And so – but – but Oh, please. That's why – if you're wondering why that, – that, that's why Slane and Zenith uh, uh, come to kind of sure. an abrupt end th- this episode. Um, so I'm guessing then that 35P definitely goes up. Yeah, we're at a 40 oh, at 650, I man. believe. They're really, they're really pushing that, that kid's fucking lunch money on this one. Man, well, I mean, one, like they're they're moving more towards sort of like uh like uh preteens and teenagers mm, at this point. No, that's fair. Like the you know, I mean it's been like twelve years, like the uh the uh six year old at the bottom of the demographic, <laughs> you know, that 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 was saying, Oh, I like cowboys and dinosaurs. That that's that great. kid is now like eighteen. He's like, Oh, I like tits and cars. <laughs> <laughs> I like God. it when when uh alien uh, presenters dress up as 15 different people. God. Oi, make George Dredd lose all his skin. That's oh. what I like. Oh, no, that doesn't happen. <laughs> it's bad. Um, anyway. Oh, no. <laughs> Why? So, it's a whole thing. But so, okay. That's just sort of, I wanted to, to do some state of play stuff. So, that's sort of, I don't know. What, what's going on here? Mm-hmm. So, all that said, Fox. You might say I was I was confessing about tales and how they're going to come, but on the topic of confessions, oh, <laughs> self setup, oh, whatever. I don't it's care. Beautiful. Oh. Or speaking of speaking of violent kids these days, I guess Fox ah, Corona you don't parties. Trust. Am I right? Whoa. <laughs> Three <laughs> one Judge Dread. I am so glad that old. Peanut butter and jelly, maybe, is back. <laughs> <laughs> Script robot John Wagner and Alan Grant. Art robot Liam Sharp, Mick Austin, Colin McNeil. Letting robot Tom Frame and Annie Parkhouse. Tom Frame, Tom Frame, Tom Frame. Tom, 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 Tom Frame. Ooh, classic. Thank you. <laughs> Tom Frame. Someone's been listening to that uh, Case Files 5 episode. <laughs> Just Tom Frame, Joe Kevy. <laughs> that was really... Sorry, I, I, as we're recording this, I think last week, the week before this, I put out my, our Case Files 5 collection. It's beautiful. And listening to that, that's a real, a real high point for both Timmy Tom Frame and me doing uh, 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 Die Hard in a Jokes. So <laughs> really, really inspiring me to do things. Oh, like. I mean, your Die Hard in a Blank is, uh, is one of my favorite maymays. It's good. I like it a lot. Um, I'm, I, you know, I don't want to force it, but I, I do have my eye out for it. <laughs> anyway, t- also, sorry, really letting everybody in on our recording process. So hopefully, <laughs> when this when this comes out in like a month and a half or something, um, we'll just have Corona parties as a distant memory instead of a current outrage. <laughs> anyway, t- teenage killer. PJ, speaking of teenage oh killer PJ, maybe he's under arrest and being interrogated by Judge Dredd. He's covered in machines, including a giant one on his junk. He's got amazing abs. Just re- you know, just calling these things out. Um, John Wagner, uh, Liam Sharp, creative team here. PJ recaps the crimes he's committed previously, mm-hmm. and then we move on to some more some more recent crimes. Hey, sure, why not? 
Yeah, the Haas bros have snaked the Justice Department trousers contract from PJ's dad, so he's dosed the elder of the bros, Chester, with a hypno drug to make him tell the truth all the time. Oh, man. The whole pants thing. I love that they show uh, an altered butt in this comic. Yeah. Listen, this is a grown-up comic. We got butts. (laughs) Cleavage and butts. Are they really all that different? I mean, the butt is the cleavage of the back. (laughs) Sucks. We all know it. Like back cleavage. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Um. So Chester's telling the truth. He goes on a talk show and explains these selling pants to the Justice Department at a loss, and will pass the cost on to consumers. He debuts a pair of Emperor pants and calls uh, everyone of the city idiots. It's a. It's a really. Effective advertising strategy, I feel. <laughs> you guys are dumb. Put on these invisible pants. They're available only by appointment. So you got to like pay extra to have them individually. Your invisible pants individually fitted. Look at this guy's butt. Uh, or I guess actually, actually we're seeing it from the back. So it's probably look at this guy's oh, junk. Yeah, no, like, they're, they're looking at his Jangus. <laughs> uh, then the plan is once emphatically, yes, the uh, the Mabies company goes out of business, they'll jack the price for the Justice Department back up. Oh, what a good thing to say on television. Yeah, it seems the day is saved. And in the present, we learned that while Dredd had his doubts about PJ Maybe, there was nothing really to work with in the previous killings and stuff like that. Because apparently he was just so dumb. Yeah, he did do a good job of playing real, real stupid. Also, PJ Maybe is friggin' ripped. Yeah, man. Absolutely. I wonder, like, part of me wonders if, if that's just comic book stuff or mm-hmm. because he's so rich, he can kind of, like, you know, get ripped drugs. Yeah, exactly. Like there's very or just like, you know, have get some kind of like auto workout kind of thing or something is, like that. This is you why know? you gotta buy that whole slew of fucking natural whatever pills from Alex Jones. It's gonna it's gonna get you ripped. Alpha yeah, brain. Get that brain get that brain force. Oh brain get force, that, uh, that's it. DNA plus. Oh <laughs> eight pack power stack. <laughs> whatever. Wow. Get me making me talk about the frogs being gay. It's no good, frogs. Like, come on, <laughs> doing an ad pivot mid show here. But, Maybe. um, so, um, the di- uh, blah blah, yeah, sorry. Um, PJ admits to killing his girlfriend, Liana's boyfriend, with a pair of copper pants, which I thought was pretty funny at the time. He continued to, and then we move to his final crime. The other of the Haas bros, Alger, and Alger Haas is probably a reference to accused spy Alger Hiss mm. from uh, the, the McCarthy days, is pissed, but seems savvy enough to deal with this stuff. We, as we ogle Liana swimming, like getting out of the pool, PJ learns that Haas has lowered the price even more for the just for the pants they give to the judges. So the contract's still on. This sends PJ into action, flying to Hospros and trying to offer Alger some more hypno candy. But he's like, what? Like you're what kind one of-, of the son of my competitor? I'm not gonna eat random candy from you, especially <laughs> after my brother's gone insane after meeting with you. Like that's ridiculous. He seems he seems pretty uh uh, pretty all right with just being smart as hell. Also, if yeah. we could just say that the Liana pool scene. It's very. Uh, it's a little. Like, a little gratuitous. Fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> anyway, please continue. Space bitter boys are getting gross. Hey, listen, man. I can't help it when someone massively ripped comes out of a pool and then they just do a TNA shot of this person, this comic book <laughs> listen, character. Liam's. 
Liam Sharp's having fun drawing both of both both PJ maybe and Liana. Like there's just a lot of lot of musculature oh, in yeah. these characters. <laughs> anyway, that means PJ maybe has to get more complex, Fox. So he buys the an, an Acme Simulacrum kit but and which... molds it to look like Alger, as you do. Only Acme would sell a Simulacrum kit. Oh, absolutely. Listen, I got some, th- I, I, yeah, uh, uh, Wiley, Coyote, and Roadrunner Cursed Earth Mutants confirmed, <laughs> Fox. Oh, that'd be great. So, the plan, yeah, listen, no reason to say otherwise. You don't see people. It's all just, <laughs> ru- just the remains of roads and these two mutants fighting it out, you know? Fantastic. So the plan is on. PJ maybe makes a call to Alger Haas, offering a chance to get into the stu- into the Stucky business to raise some quick cash using a scrambler called Deep Throat Two to hide his voice. And we'll remember from the Mega Rackets actually in that Case Files Five thing that uh, Stucky um, running is using the glands of aliens called Stuckies to um, like cause artificial de-aging it's got the effect of uh, of the spice from dune ah. but, like the non the non-warp drive parts that they it lets you uh <laughs> stay young <laughs> i guess the non-mentat part either it's like you know whatever the basic parts of, of the spice fantastic uh, <laughs> stucky must flow um no! oh ew yeah the so basically meet me at the rat at the rat run bar if you're interested <laughs> This call gets picked up and recorded by the company Switchboard, and PJ assumes Alger won't come, but that's part of the plan. That night at the Rat Run bar, Alger does arrive, looking real rich and real smooth. And PJ's there too, blending in. No, and I really like just how Sharp draws all this assemb- all these assembled Mega City One weirdos like oh, hanging yeah. out in this bar together and stuff. These uh, not 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 just no good nicks, but potentially even rapscallions. Oh, yes. It's a nice combination of uh, thugs and robot hookers sort of built into this crowd, basically. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So Alger comes in. He buys a soya milk fizz with a thousand cred bill and then uses the the change to buy the bar around, just being very flashy with his cash. Yes, as you definitely would do in a CD joint. Yeah. As as, – oh, sorry, Mo. So Alger meets with a shady type called Leck Johnson and asks to get into the Suki business. Offers to you know him ten million dollars or ten million creds to uh, to buy into it. But as Haas leaves and PJ looks on with a smile, the real Alger Haas arrives. Oh no! Oh my God! Apparently he is pretty fucking desperate after his brother went insane. Or just that greedy slash shady fox. Mm, the two doubles it's the get. Goatee. get yeah. Oh, definitely. Yes, that evil, evil facial hair. The the two doubles get in a fight. They're um, double teaming, I think. Fox or which one's the Van Damme one? Where, where he's got a twin? I for I get that one mixed up with the one where he's with Dennis Rodman. Um, I understand anyway. your meaning. It's just not the first place my mind went. <laughs> Maybe double impacting. I think that's the one. Oh, um, <laughs> oh god. <laughs> um, sorry. The. The real Alger gets knocked into the path of an oncoming truck and then gets attacked by some no-good toughs from the bar. Man, things are not going well for this real actual dude. (laughs) He's having a bad day. Dredd arrives on the scene. He guns down those perps, but then one of them falls onto PJ Maybe, trapping him and making him drop his robot remote. Damn. Dredd walks up and arrests him, and here we are in the present. Yeah, it's okay. I guess I'm insane now. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah. PJ has been cooperative because he knows the jig is up and it's confined to a padded cell in the Psycho Cubes. So it all. It, oh, please. Yeah. I was going to – I'm just finishing up. It all ends well. PJ's getting the help he needs and his folks get the trousers contract back as sort of recompense. That's the end of this story. But don't worry, Fox. PJ maybe will return in December of 1999. Or or 1990, I should say. 1990. Okay. I was about to freak out. I'm like, God damn it. No, next year. Because this is one of my favorite characters easily in the Dreadverse. Yeah, he's fun. He really is. Writing these things, drawing some crude drawings and stuff like I mean, that. Why, yeah, listen. I just don't get why he like misspells all the things next like a dope because he's very clearly just a genius. Yeah, but he doesn't have like he doesn't have like those writings like like the smarts to like I don't know of like learning how to spell things or something like that. I guess I think Maybe. it kind of makes it it makes him interesting just because yeah he's got this very childish way of writing and thinking about things. But mm. on the outside, he's so cold and calculating that I think it adds sort of an extra layer of like insanity uh, or something yeah, to, maybe, to his character. Uh, God, you know? that actually does make it a bit more dark and terrifying. Yeah. Like that, you've got this killer, but his inner monologue is very much just a kid sort of having fun or something like I that. I mean, you know? the big thing is props to Sharp because like those drawings are really fucking like crazy Yeah, people. the art's real great. Yeah, definitely. And so, yeah, you know, I mean, it is one of these things where, um, yeah, PJ will get bowed. It is like the the one problem I have with PJ is that he does kind he is kind of um, a more traditional comic book villain, sure. In that he he can get caught and then get out of prison, basically, like yeah. like a like a Joker or Lex Luthor kind of. Sure, but you don't get a lot of that to, in Judge Dredd, you know. So it's yeah, a, it's kind of a I welcome think, addition. Yeah, I th- I think it is a little like even though it's a traditional thing because it's so unusual for dread, I think it does sort of have a certain spice to it that I think it is is good. Ah, chef's kiss. So exactly. So moving on so to more <clears throat> from also familiar villains. Oh, uh, Mick Austin's on art as a familiar figure waits outside the West Craven Conaps, of course, the oh, award director. Stalking prey with razor sharp claws. Ooh. It's Freddy, I guess. It's um, <laughs> Freddy Crowder. Yeah, whatever. Uh, he sees some Juves wall scrawling and then making out through their retainers, and he jumps down and strikes. They don't notice him, and when he gets their attention, it looks like their retainers sort of locked together. This <laughs> seems like that's the actual nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. They scream and dreads on the scene. Freddy thinks he's immortal in the dreamscape. This is reality, buddy. And he just gets shot full of holes. Yeah, bud. Shot through uh, your heart and it's too late. Shot through shot through your body. Shot, shot through all of you. <laughs> Given all the emotions a bad name, Fox. Mm. But uh, so Dread calls in the body and then runs in the stuck together teens for the wall scrawling. But then fake Freddy wakes back up and continues his hunt. But then a dude in an alleyway <laughs> starts awake, and that's the last time he ever drinks that kind of booze as he puts on his hat and stripey, and stripey shirt and walks off into the night. Whoa. I like that we've reached a point where now both um, both this show and Stranger by the Dozen have a fake Freddy um, <laughs> uh, episode. <laughs> Doctor, did Dr. Strange a long time ago, but now it's happened everywhere. Uh, everyone's got to eventually evoke Freddy Krueger. Yeah, so it's even it's money good. on the it's, table. 
It's low calorie because it specifically happens in dreams, so you can do it. You know, exactly. Like, oh, what a dream! Oh man, I, you know, I am so, surprised that yeah. uh, that Future Shocks made their way into Judge Dread this week. Mm. So finally, a whole new team with us now: writer Alan Grant, artist Colin McNeil, and I believe for the first time on Dread Letterer Annie Parkhouse. All right. Oh yeah. She letters Dread today, like in the in the present time. So it's cool to see her. Wicked and get, welcome. Uh, start out here. Yeah. This story is called Dead Juve's Dead, Dead Curve and obviously takes a lot of inspiration from the Janet Dean song Dead Man's Curve, uh, but this time with a, a bone mobile and a souped up Ford Ooh. instead of a Stingray and an XKE. Uh, while not explicitly in verse, the story has a lot of lines from the song and, t- and told in sort of a, a, a song-like cadence. Mm-hmm. Um, these two dragsters agree to race, and they're off. They drive like crazy, sideswiping a hottie stall that falls and nearly hits Dredd. Not the hottie stall. Come on, guys. Sad. Yeah. He pulls a survivor from the wreckage and then is in pursuit. Dead Jube's curve looks like a massive multi-story spiral that you have to drive down. <laughs> it's just not a good idea to make something that is that. I mean, listen, you got to save space, man. You got to go down some levels sometimes. I guess. It's- Killed 11 people already today, and then we see the two racers go off the side. I forgot that he mentions how many people died that same day. It doesn't day. even have railings, Fox. It's ridiculous. It's, it would save so much shit. The guy in the four, in the Ford dies, and the bone mobilers off to the cubes for 10 years. Dreads juve cubes, no place to play. Dread juves cubes, creeps can't stay away. Dread juves cubes, that's that's where they make you pay. But they never come back from dreads juve. Oh, but they can come back from dreads juve cubes. And at least they come back from dreads juves. <laughs> the episode ends with an ad for the actual uh, Dead Man's Curve song, which is kind of funny. Ugh. Has a has a very of its time 1989 thing where you got to buy like Jan and Dean's greatest hits or something like that instead of just buying the song itself. Exactly. Well, and what I love is that it's just like a surfer, but also like a car and an American flag and a headlight, and you're like, what the? Yeah. What? It's very much the the uh, collage you'd get if you kind of put the essential parts of uh, Jan and Dean in there. I think. Yeah. 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 Sort of that sixty surf surf rock, you know. I've got a car. It's as big as a whale. <laughs> That's not about surfing. No, well, it's come on. Love Shack is such like a surf song. Doing it in like the country. I don't know what that song's about. But I'm thinking about it. Going to the to country going to do me a lot of peaches, man. That's the that's a presence of the America song. Back to the United States, yeah. And speaking <laughs> of uh, teen pop sensations, Fox. Oh, see, I didn't even know I was doing the lead in, but then I did the lead in, and you did it. That was great. Good good teamwork. We definitely planned this. <laughs> Making that dream work, buddy. <laughs> Thrill to Zenith. <laughs> mm. Zenith. Script robot. Yeah. Script robot Grant Morris and art robot Steve Yo letting robot Gordon Robson and his kid. So last episode, we saw Christian superhero Hotspur burn the possession <laughs> of the evil Ligor out of himself. I feel like. Um, I might have been mispronouncing Ligor this whole time, Fox. I feel real bad about it. I don't even know uh, how to pronounce it. I, lo- I just call Loigor. it Ligor. Yeah, that's fine. Um, and saw aging hippie superhero Ruby Fox do something to become young again. Mm. Here, 
in Axis Monday and Alternative 23, strange talking superhero Maxi Man. And I looked it up, and yeah, apparently he talks like this character, Peter Stillman, from a story called City of Glass by Paul Astor. FYI. Interesting. But um, anyway, the plan remains. Two teams of heroes will travel to Alternative 666 and 257. That second team will be led by Hotspur to destroy those worlds and stop the formation of the Omnihedron. Man, Hotspur, by the way, I mean, he was already religious, but that guy is like real religious. I don't know if that's yeah, playing he, to the crowd. No, I don't think it is. I don't think it, I don't think anybody's into it. Um, but yeah, he uh, yeah he he makes a big speech saying that because he's saying that he's great because he took a big old because <laughs> he's a big old Jesus dude and used a molten cross to burn the loigor out of his body and now we can cleanse his world. He breaks into the battle hymn of the Republic Oof. and it's a a deep cut fifth verse of that song. Oh. You know. You know, uh, as he died to make men holy, let us die to make men free. All that kind of stuff. Um, it's, uh, it's intense, to say the least. A, I mean, Battle of the Old Republic, it's a cool song. It's sort of anti-slavery and stuff. So it's got some, you know, got some good imagery. It seems Zenith is drawn to go to Alternative 666 and gets briefly felt up by teammate Metamade from Alternative 20, who doesn't seem to be based on anybody that, that, that I could see. No, she's based on a type of juice that could be either lemonade, cranberry juice, or orange juice. It's fine. Because <laughs> she is a bit of a shazzy. Oh, a bit, a bit. So, okay, no one's gonna get that. That's what that's what Zenith says. She's a bit of a shazzy, isn't she? I a just bit, a I, string fellows for I my just, taste. That's sort of I I don't understand what the fuck he's talking about. Like, well, string fellows is is a is a strip club in London. So he's basically calling her a slut, fox. Just FYI. Oh, that's well, that's just rude. Listen, if there's one thing we've learned over the course of Zenith, and certainly this story, is that Zenith's an asshole. Like, not not a good guy. Yeah, that's fair. Um, <laughs> I mean, he did. Anyway, he friend, did talk someone out of not blowing up fucking England, though. That's not too bad. Yeah, but the reason he talked him out of it was because, like, don't you just want to be lazy? <laughs> <laughs> fair. That's fair. Um, our friend Mantra is isn't going to six six six, but the leopard from Lime Street is, much to Zenith's uh, sh- sh- chagrin. Oh yeah, Cheeto, Chester Me- Cheeto. Yeah. Absolutely. Meanwhile, Ruby shows off her younger uh, form to Peter Sinjin, who's not impressed. He's like, listen, I'm an, I like being old. It's fine. Oh. Like, I don't want to be a kid and that get really acne misfired. and have big sideburns. Honestly, Fox, I'm taking offense by how old they're making Peter look here because he's like 43, Fox. Like, I'm almost as old as Peter no, <laughs> right I, well, now. Well, yes, but also he, the way he talks about all of it, he's just like, everything you just said fills me with like, regret and you know makes me feel embarrassed and like a chick who has been like into you for a long time maybe not the best thing to say when you get reunited well i think it's an interesting interplay of these characters i mean we've seen this before basically but like how how ruby really like sort of remembers her time being famous in the 60s and being a big hippie and stuff, Mm. whereas Peter kind of sees that part as part of his regrettable youth and much more likes being a uh, being a a yuppie, uh, a yuppie Tory in in the the 80s as a boss. Yeah, with a with a suit and a power tie and a ridiculous haircut, you know. Oh, why does that sound like somebody? Hmm. 
anyway. different thing. Or I don't know. Uh, Ruby calls him old and storms off. Zenith hate as we said in a previous episode. Zenith hates to see her go, but loves to walk, watch her walk away. Um, <laughs> and listen, buddy, you already had sex with the younger clone of Ruby, along with one of your own mom. Yeah, all right. I just, so like, let's not stop. Be, let's stop being weird here. Uh, he is. He is just no shame, Shane. Yeah. <laughs> Hotspur's still going, um, still going on as the leader of this expedition, whereas Big Ben morosely gathers his troops as a lady named Tanya of the Amazing Three, a sort of UK Fantastic Four ripoff, yells at Zenith for being a little shit all the time, yeah. which reasonable, and Zenith just kind of brushes her off, basically, just like, well, ah, but you love well, it when I do. Well, and like Big Ben is also like, look, man, I don't want people to start fighting right now. I'm not a great leader. Yeah. I'm here to just kind of make, like, we got to do some shit all right he's a real low self-esteem boss he's a real uh, conrad playing mass effect kind of boss basically but he's just <laughs> he's a good guy big ben's one of my favorite people that we've met so far yeah he's fun big big soviet uh that, da- uh, uh da- dastard dan guy yeah d- that, desperate dan that and arnie <laughs> arnie and him are my two new favorites archie or archie is it archie is it arnie i fuck acid archie yeah there we go <laughs> Yeah, so uh, anyway, it's whatever. Um, the Einstein-Rosen bridge pops into existence. We see that, yes, Acid Archie is going with Zenith oh, fuck yeah. while Vertex is going to the other on the other team. And the heroes head off as an ominous Maxi Man looks on. Oh, a crow fucking flies onto his shoulder. If that's that's not just ominous, that's just like this guy's probably bad, right? Yeah, it's very much the uh, when Odin's being a bad guy kind mm-hmm. of kind of look, you know. So, alternative 666, we arrive at Miss Wonderstar's Magic Kingdom. Sure. I'm not sure if it's actually Disney World or just some sort of alternately named British things. Like, if it's actually, like, supposed to be Alton Towers, but they gave it a different name. Um, but one way or another, we see it's been turned into a, into a nightmare by the Loigor. Uh, we see a super kid with jet boots, a spring-heeled jock, he's called, named after the dandy character Rocket Jock. He surveys the scene. We don't get a great view of it, honestly. It's no. mostly text. About the combo of happy music and terrified screams, the smell of fair food and human flesh burning. Uh, we get the angry face of, of Wonder Star and then uh, Jock hitting her with a blast, sending her in to the bob wire where starved humans are kept. So it's sort of a concentration kept Disney World. We don't get and a lot I of like, mean, real looks at it. And I mean, they just go in on that. Absolutely. She plays possum saying that that, – that, as the uh, as the uh, folks in this thing attack her, that the Loigor has left her, but it's a ruse, and she eye beams him near to death. I know, Tommy. No, I don't know <laughs> oh, yeah. who you I are, sh- really. I should say, sorry. The 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 kid attacking her is a uh, Tommy Trident, mm-hmm. the nuclear boy, based on the character Atomic Tommy. Um, but then after she blasts, uh, Tommy Jock tries to swing him with his boots, but caught and about to be killed when the Einstein Rosen Bridge plinks into existence and our super team arrives. It's showdown time. I, I love the kind of like dumbfounded look everyone's got, like both coming in and them watching it plink into existence. <laughs> yeah, they're surprised at what they're seeing and what's seeing them is surprised to see them there. Absolutely. It's it's just so, uh, again, because as we're getting to the, to the end of Zenith until 6.50, this yeah. this was the best way to kind of end it, which is both confusion and with like this kind of like high waisted dude at the front with an iron st- or with a a Russian star on his on his fucking yeah. hat and just a bunch of weird people in a Chester cheetah. 
Ugh. It's wonderful. It's very much like, uh, like, all right, we, we've arrived, like, and so now we can have a cliffhanger and then we can sort of get, like, we've done all the setups. So now we can get to the action and start resolving yeah. things, basically. What's well, it? And yeah, exactly. And it's just a nice place to kind of take a break. I, I, I'm actually yeah. kind of, oh, God, I'm so stoked for 650, I got to say. Me too. That's going to be a real fun one for sure. And so, uh, yeah, so this is the end of Zenith. Like we said, it will return in Prague 650 in the fall for a big 17-issue run, which will finish out Phase 3. Speaking of comics ending for a while, Fox. No. Sad, but, you know, in every life, a little thrill three slain must come. <laughs> in every life, a slain No, okay, end. we're going. Too I, much singing this episode already. I know. <laughs> Simon Bisley, eat your heart out. So good. Yeah. Script robot Pat Mills, art robot Simon Bisley, letting robot Steve Potter, Horde God Part 8. Oosh! Uh, the credits page is a tiny warrior setting up to a huge <laughs> dragon. I love it. In the time without time, the aged dwarf Ucko weeps as he writes his tale, how in the past Slain refused to listen to his warnings that Maeve the uh, sorceress was plotting against him as the barbarian king preps for the arrival of King Rudrage and his wife to secure the Silver Sword of the Moon. Mm. Finally, Ucko explains why he's weeping and it's that someone's going to get rich off this story, but not him because he's <laughs> just getting two iron bars for ch per chapter. <laughs> it's real good. Yeah, and I mean, if it makes you feel better, Hoko, it's not like Mills and Bisley get a ton of profit from this thing either, you know? <laughs> Come on, buddy. <laughs> Ness says he should really be doing it for free, and Hoko straight up has a heart attack <laughs> because of it. <laughs> like, they have to, like, revive him by making him, like, having him drink Drug. meat and stuff like oh, that. Oh, yeah, I know. Meat! <laughs> Or whatever, yeah, something. Back in the story, Slain and the druid Cathbat are still arguing over Slain's plans. Cathbat explains that the reign of the Earth Goddess were the was the bad old days, full of empowered women and men mm. being treated like objects. Horrible. And Slain's like, like I'll be treated like an object. That's fine. <laughs> like whatever. The most expressive part of uh, of this dude is his fucking mustache. I love it. Got a big, wide mustache, wider, mm. far wider than his head, for sure. It's like um, it's like hands on a fucking watch. It's beautiful. Yeah, Ucko currently drinking goat's milk right from the tap, as it were. <laughs> goes to warn Slane that goes to warn Slane about stuff, but Slane's far too busy yelling at Cathbad for not being into his views of the cosmic rebalance towards a, a maternal society to listen to uh, Ucko's warnings. And then Maeve shows up and Ucko can't say, you know, oh, this lady's an evil witch. <laughs> Come on, bro. Be into my fucking thing about earth goddessism, whatever, and stop being a total chode. Bruh, bruh, we gotta put women back in control, bruh. <laughs> <laughs> Him and his star dance say so. I, I, I will say, like, I do, f like, or I don't know, let's keep going. Um, Sorry, I'll get to it later. Um, that night, Rudridge, uh, or Rudrig of the Fur Domain arrives, the tribe of the Growling Shields. He's got a cool entourage, wears an orange tartan, and the silver sword of the moon is real big. It's the so two leaders clasp hands. Yeah, it's real awesome. And Red Rage pre presents his wife, Queen Neve. Oh, he, dun, knew dun, that dun. Was, he knew that was going to be a deep cut. Like, the sword couldn't even cut that deep, even though he just starts J-O-ing his sword in front of everybody. 
Absolutely. Yeah, the credits page for part nine is a big warped monster eating a bone with a long, gross tongue. Mm. Rud Rage says, um, if Slane wants to fight for the sword, that's cool, but be aware that this little baby's got lunar power and will <laughs> cause your body to explode as it approaches you so you, you know, no medical assistance can cure a wound from it's it. It's just like, oh, I'm not going to cut you. The body just separates from itself because it so wants that moon power, but the problem is yeah, you can cure a fucking cut, but when it, your body's separating from its, itself because it wants that sweet moon juice, guess what? Mm-hmm. Can't fix that problem? Can't fix it. This 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 part feels so, like, anime, I guess. I, no, like, it's the most anime thing I've ever seen, and where double the sword. Like, as someone who's who's definitely seen anime is where, for instance, you have a fight that starts with someone explaining that their katana has two blades on it. Oh, yeah. So it's impossible to stitch the wounds closed and stuff oh, like that. God. Like, you know, this has that feel. Um, but Ucko suggests the classic kick my kiss my axe response, <laughs> but Slane disagrees. It's like, look, man, I'm and- trying to make friends smell my pot, bro. Yeah, Slane also very modestly threatens Red Rage. Like, listen, I'll fight. I'll kick your ass. Like, wouldn't but wouldn't you rather eat by my side than die at my feet? Like, let's not fight. <laughs> and let's eat it. Let, let, let's eat. Let, let's eat, man. Let's go. The only thing missing is the comical like smell fingers, like like tickling his nose. Like, hmm, come over and over here. It smells nice. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, Neve seems to think this is okay and uh, you, you gotta remember Fox that most of these tribes are currently being starved by the Fomorian sea devils exactly so the op- offer of a feast is certainly very tempting hey man everybody loves fe- their yeah. s- their weird like flesh looking slop <laughs> absolutely yeah well it just comes out of the cauldron of plenty from somewhere um as they feast, Slane explains he doesn't want to own Rudd's sword. He just wants to team up with them. He's going to unite the – he wants to unite the tribes, not conquer them. Mm-hmm. He's not in for the power, but for the unity, man. I'm not here for the power. <laughs> he says being high king is more about symbolism and serving as a rallying point for everybody, but Neve's extremely skeptical. Slane says he just wants the simple things to secure a future for his people. Um, it seems Megrim's still technically married to Slane, but he isn't doing anything about it, if you take my meaning. Yep. While uh, Neve and Rudrage are on an annual marriage contract every year, they can choose to re-up or sort of part as friends, basically. It's the first time that I kind of believe just that Slane's being honest as opposed to horny or gory. Mm, I think so, too. Yeah, he kind of – he's definitely like feels like he's changed and is trying to be a different guy. And Neve's really throwing his past actions back in his face every chance he get she gets. I mean, she's a response. That. Can, yeah, I mean, like, yeah, he Slane's response is definitely like, yes, I deserve this treatment. Like, you're you you you're right to call me an asshole constantly. Mm. As for example, when Slane asks about their son Kai, and it brings up hurt feelings. As it's and uh, we 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 reach a period where it seems that Bisley's having some deadline pains. His backgrounds fall away, and most of the color just becomes kind of this red sponge, basically over different characters. Oh, yeah. I, the one thing that um, I will say is the rare, or if maybe the only the first time, and I'm sorry from Slane. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it seems Kai's doing well at school. But it's getting – yeah, and he, he does apologize for leaving her to give birth alone Ooh. in that hut, like, after he kind of got her pregnant. Um, yeah, so it seems um, – it, or it's getting late, and, and they have battle plans to make on the morrow, so Neve and Rudd head out. Um, 
art, the standard art returns as Slane drinks alone late into the night as Ukko recounts fictional conquests of his youth. Um, that, that, <laughs> later that's in the, scrubbed in, in, by in the narration the, boxes. Yeah, yeah, later scrubbed because of their offensive <laughs> and possibly illegal uh, content. Right. Slane goes to bed as as a, a, a as Megram. Uh, Slash, or sorry, Slane goes to bed as Megram slash Maeve approaches the cauldron of plenty. Slane still loves Neve, but if she dies, he'll be in Maeve's power, and the cauldron can help her do it. And uh, for the next episode, she gets like, she was not as nudie, but now she's 100% definitely topless. <laughs> Gotta be naked to do that evil magic. Uh, part 10 credits feature Ukko riding a sweet hog. A pig, I mean. Uh, <laughs> as Maeve used the cauldron to summon the evil and disgusting death god Avigdu, who we, we, we've seen before in Slaying the King. We all know where that delicious stuff comes from. The man's gotta eat fucking humans to poop out delicious food. It's a cir- cir- circle of life, buddy. Um, <laughs> she then uses her evil charms to convince him to do some evil, in this case to kill Neve under Slane's roof. The beast attacks, but in his uh, stupidity instead bites off Rud Rage's hand. Ah, He's incapacitated. He can't hand. use the big-ass sword of the moon. So Maeve picks it up. Like a goddamn badass. Like a absolutely. Sh- yeah, she uh, she leaps out, slicing through Avigdu, but the demon of the underworld can't be killed. It goes to eat Neve as a naked slain arrives and leaps into action. <laughs> He's always he, new. I mean, st- you know, th- he, there's no pajamas in the land of the young, Fox. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. He, he tackles Avigdu, wrestles him around, and forces the demon's hand into into its own mouth. Oh, and then, and then it does Avigdu's, that whole I turn into an asshole thing. Yeah, he's a ravenous beast, so he has no choice to eat himself until there's nothing left. He kind of pop, plinks out of existence. Except for a pair of, like, sharp, like, vampire's teeth that you would get at, like, a store that's plastic that cuts your gums. Yeah. And then it jumps and back into like, the cauldron. Yeah, like, I'm out of here. <laughs> Team Rocket's blasting off again. Oh. Um, <laughs> so much animo. Seriously, the day is saved, but Rudrig Rage has been maimed by the creature that came out of Slane's cauldron, and Nate and Neve thinks this is all part of some big scheme. Come on, oh man, come on! What's going to happen? We'll find out in three months when Slane returns in Prog Six Fifty. God, so unfortunate, but also, man, I love me some Slane. Yeah, this part's real fun. I'm I'm really glad that we've sort of gotten out of the recap parts of this yeah, story yeah. and are now moving into the actual main part of the story, oh, you know? I, I mean, how many times have we ever seen in 2000 AD something eat itself into an asshole and then out of existence? I feel like this is a new move. Like, I, don't, I don't remember we've, a time or Are you saying that we've broken head. new ground for this comic book? I feel like we've eaten new demons oh, or something like that. Oh, I like that. I will say, I was going to say this earlier, and I, I I thought I had it written down at a later point, but I don't. So I, I, I just want to say that, um, like, the conversation between uh, Slane and um, and Cathbad, like, kind of goes r- around and around a lot. And yeah. to a point where I, I kind of wanted to be like a defense attorney, be like, asked and answered, let's move on, you know? <laughs> they they definitely, it, it was just an extenuating situation where, uh, so I kind of enjoyed it. Only on the fact yeah. that, like, it's two Barbaria bros just kind of, like, trying to edge up on each other a bit. 
But I'm there yeah. with you on, in terms of just like we can move past this. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's that it, it, it's super bad. I sort of noticed that 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 it kind of keeps going on, you know. Yeah. But I and I, I will say that I do like this uh, matriarchy stuff way more than the uh, don't do anything because you'll upset the balance stuff. Oh, um, pluking that, it that we previously yeah that we previously seen in terms of Slain's philosophy. Like like I, I think I like this philosophy better. Oh yeah. I mean, no, it's awesome. I mean, he he has been multiple times around the Earth Mother in, well, two of those iterations yeah. were definitely the one that wanted to have sex with them. Yeah, we should, um, ugh, like someday w- when we w- when we do Dice Man, which I really want to do at some mm. point, um, there's a slain story where he kind of hangs out with all three aspects of the Earth Goddess Ooh, and stuff. Oh, that's I think. neat. I, that seems like a very interesting story. Yeah, yeah it involves golden apples and things like that. Like I'm sort of, I'm, I'm, I'm interested. We, we, we got to find time at some point. Yeah, of course. That that seems interesting <laughs> to me because that that is kind of like the mythos that we never really get to see all that much, though it's being rediscovered yeah, seen, now. Yeah, we've seen pieces of it, but I think that's sort of a load bearing episode that is is not part of the main timeline. Yeah, so it's it's, it's worth checking out. And speaking of big adventures, Fox. Oh, I'm into big adventures. Thrill four beyond zero. <laughs> Script about John Browse and art robot Kev Hopgood, Lego about Jack Potter. Last uh, last episode, cyborg Cabby Tanner, along with his pals, robot assassin <laughs> droid Risa and, or Risa and clone super soldier Gut uh, Eight. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, it's just a, all of their names are just so great. Like everything about. Um, about Beyond Zero just feels like an RPG, like like a traveler RPG campaign it's, specifically, and it's so like, good. Like, let me yell at this like mutant cat for a minute. <laughs> yeah, it's got a very just like a, we're doing RPG stuff kind of feel to it. Down these so conversations good. and things like that. But yeah, they were exploring the post-apocalyptic world beyond the domed city, the domed Zero City. They ran into a giant blimp and some fungus dudes <laughs> and were briefly saved by a sentient feline called R- Cat, who then led them into an ambush by a frogman named Basil, who the team quickly killed. Now that partnership is over, it's time to negotiate Rorsch joining their team. And it he seems like under- it happens all right. Yeah, he's fine with it. He kind of teams up with them right away. And they head out. Rorschkat is trying to put the moves on 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 Risa as she goes because he's a male chauvinist pig cat. I mean, and also he's apparently really into robot ladies. That's fine. Something, yeah. Uh, I mean, speaking of anime, I guess. Oh. But uh, soon in the heavy jungle, they arrive at the Happy Valley Shopo Rama and even more abandoned malls than the ones that dot the U.S. now. Oh. And they go in to look to to have a look over Rorsch's uh, protests. You know, I gotta say, you know, I love a shoparama. Not, not so many yeah. shoparamas I've been to, but it seems like let's like go a cool to place. the mall. Oh yeah, today. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> um, it seems that some retail droids are still active here. As Gut Eight murderizes a Drake's droid for just showing up. Take that, Walter. Bada, 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 bada. <laughs> I, I really hope that's a deep cut against Walter because fuck off. I'm taking it that way. Um, in a clothing store, Tanner grabs some, some cool shun, some cool sunglasses, and shoplifts them. I mean, as he walks out with them. Yeah. The and- storekeeper droid pulls a gun and gets blown away for his it's, trouble. It was a submachine. Which- gun too it's awesome it's, yeah fuck 
not playing around. At which point, the mall security droids roll into roll out in force. Oh, it's Chopping Mall. It's time to run. Okay, so I will say, okay, first, yes, of course, it's Chopping Mall. That's great. Chopping Mall. But also, I, heads. I love that they're, well, there's no good head explosions in this. However, no. I am very glad that they are just giant wheels with guns on them. You know? Yeah, they've got it. Yeah, I mean, they, they actually have kind of a Star Wars war droid look oh, to them, actually. Ooh, I like that. Yes, they do. Yeah. But so, yeah, so they're they're going in. And as uh, Tanner returns to his one great piece of uh, military strategy, <laughs> it's time to run. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man. Got to know when to hold them, no one to fold them, no one to walk away, yeah. and no one to get the fuck out of here because there's a George <laughs> shooting you and they're giant wheels. Oh, it's sad. R.I.P. Kenny Rogers, man. I know. Just as as we're recording, like just that week. Anyway, um, really placing this episode in a space and time, Fox. I don't like it. I don't like doing we it. We are all about that space. <laughs> Space Spinner Time 2000. I try to avoid it when I can, honestly. But anyway, um, they run. But when they reach the eggs, they walk right into a bunch of folks with gas masks and rifles. It, it doesn't seem that bad, though, as they help our team take out these wheelie gun mall security droids. Right, Tanner and, and Risa explain the situation. Yeah, it's a good time. Sorry. They explain the situation as the gas maskers agree to help the Zeroers out of this blighted land. But oh boy. <laughs> The most yeah. uh, the most sci-fi of this time thing happens after that. And I'm not yeah, talking about the giant hand job. Oh, they say they're Minervans on a hunt for a deadly monster mm. outside the blight. They remove their protected gear. It's a bunch of ladies. And it's just like, just busts everywhere. I just yeah. like, and everyone's like, oh, they ladies. Like, we're fucking really, though. Yeah. They left a, They left the zombie apocalypse and walked right into Cleopatra 2525, buddy. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, oh. The team introduces themselves, but Bud Rice sa- says her name is Marsha Mitchell for some reason. She'll explain later. Yep. Uh, suddenly, there's noise from the underbrush. It's the monster. And it's a giant hand that's got eyes on its knuckles and a remora mouth on its palm. It's yeah, real terrifying. I mean, think of like cousin it no thing it's like thing yeah thing but with a but giant mouth under its yeah but uh, in the its size palm. of like a rhino yeah and with uh knuckle eyes and a big gross mouth it's not good it's it's a gross hand situation yeah everybody starts shooting and it pounces on risa uh tanner tries to free her but gets flicked away yes okay i was if you weren't gonna say it i was gonna say it it's no. my favorite part <laughs> it's got good hand moves you know boom um, Suddenly, the beast starts to quiver and shake as sounds of sizzling comes from within. The hand falls falls dead, and Risa stands tall. She fried it with nuclear energy from her core. Wow, with all these spikes that are up from my body because I'm a robot. Why wouldn't I have That's- that? Absolutely. During the fight, Tanner called Risa's name, and the Minervans are suspicious, and Risa admits her identity, and the Minervans are stoked because they base their society on Risa's principles. My my favorite part of, like, this whole scene is that he helps Risa down from the hand like he's being this huge gentleman. <laughs> and I'm yeah. like, you know, gotta respect him. He even uh, could be a gentleman to a robot. Absolutely. 
They arrive at the at the uh, Minervan base as honored guests, a sweet fortress with a Venus symbol flag. <laughs> Looks like this mission is going to be a piece of cake. Coming soon, terror from the sky. I, I feel like that's impending doom. <laughs> yeah, that's it for Beyond Zero for now. It'll be back in Prague 645. So Whoa. again, like, like, like a few episodes from now. Okay. Honestly... Like uh, beyond zero, this story is it gets cut to pieces, and I think it really, um, oh. it, it, it really ruins the story. Honestly, like you know, Man, there's like nine, ep- there's nine issue, or there's, there's like ten issues between this one and the next one, and that's not even the end of the story. Like it's it's four more progs, and then it sort of takes another break for like twenty progs or something like that. So to really, they up. just they may not know where it goes, or they're just kind of spacing it out to kind of get rid of it. I mean, yeah, I think they, they do know where it goes, but they're sort of willing to put it out staccato because there's more important thrills um, sure. to be put I in just, there instead, I, mean, I, I guess. I guess then I I just want to say I love Beyond Zero. I mean, I just love Zero in general. Like, yeah, it's I mean, so I, good. Like, what, I like it too. What I like about it is just that it's very snappy, you know? And yeah. But 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 having these big gaps in it really hurts that snappiness, exactly. you know? You got to um, let it run so its course. It, yeah, so I do think this is sort of, you know, we are seeing kind of a murder of a thrill here, basically, which is kind of a bummer. <laughs> um, just to be real over dramatic about it, you know, as I do. Hey, man. It's only one way to be. Yeah. And speaking of letting down thrill power, Fox. Oh, non thrills, covers, and nerve center. Oh, boy. That first Prog- cover. Yeah, Prague 633, Tharg says Zarjaz as he appears on the cover as a mix of all the top 2000 AD characters. No rosette of Sirius on his forehead drawn by Cliff Robinson. We're going to – we'll see these over the years. Just very much Tharg reaching into the 2000 AD uh, costume shop and putting everything on, you know. Um, it's just – it's so weird. <laughs> like the whole It is weird. Thing. He's got Dred's shoulder eagle and right leg, Johnny Alpha's shoulder holster. Um, he's he's got Gunner and Rogue's left leg and the axe of slain and this kind of like purple left arm with a flared glove that I'm not quite sure what but that is. But he's also got a book on his hip for reason. Well, that's um that's Rogue's. Those are Rogue's pants. Rogue, oh, that's like, right. Rogue often is drawn with these giant um, saddle like, satchel things. Yeah, yeah, saddle bags on on the sides of his of his legs. Um, because he's a horse. He's also. Yeah, listen, he's a hoss at the very least. Um, and we see uh, Dread, Alpha, and Rogue's helmets all on uh, lying on the ground. It's just like, uh, you know, he's the last person I would think of as like this kind of Joker character. And this seems like just such a silly cover. Yeah. You know? He's very much Thark chilling out. Well, I mean, he's about to go on vacation, so he's just kind of having some fun <laughs> that's, in the office. He's got, senior, that's fair. he's got senioritis. You know, we'll see him on vacation next episode. <laughs> next episode. Um, in the nerve center, the first re- uh, the first responses to the horn god are coming in, and they're all quite positive. Yeah. Uh, some people do want Glenn Fabry back. Uh, fair. There's pictures making fun of the advertising campaign for the comic, like that white <laughs> panel with the blood stains on it and stuff. And a very friendly slain the horned lollipop man, which is what they call crossing guards in the UK, Fox. Oh, that's weird. Right? It is weird. That's weird. Yeah. But they definitely do it. They always call Crossing Guards <laughs> Lollipop Men. Um, oh, my God. Yeah. Um, all the letters are uh, extremely pro-Bisley. They love that horned god. The prog mm. ends with a code warning by Cliff Robinson. Oh, no. Six, six, six. 
Yeah, at last Thargus capitulated to the demonic globalist overlords <laughs> and UP, UPC code will be on the front of every 2008 cover from here on out. It's the sign of the beast. Barcodes are Absolutely. the sign of the beast. <laughs> the picture is a play on the Abbey Road album cover with Rogue, Dread, Johnny Alpha, and Tharg all making their way across. I'll mention that like Paul McCartney, Dread isn't wearing any shoes. And oh. that at that not unlike Paul, um, at comic convention interviews, some 2000 AD folks have been starting to tease that a major character is set to die sometime in the next year. What? Oh. Freak out. Mm. Yeah, disturbing. I to don't say the like, least. I, I mean, I don't like that. But I think this is like, as I understand, this is something that is currently like they aren't really having letters about it. But if you were re- if you were a 2080 fan at the time, this would be like the scuttlebutt, like you know the rumors yeah, yeah, yeah. that kids are telling each other and stuff like that. So FYI, interesting. So 634, John Higgins draws Dread walking tall, day sticking hands. I confess, PJ Baby comes clean. Looks right, except that his torso is so short. That's <laughs> mm, kind of a squat dread here. Mm. Kind of in a kind of they 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 have taken they've downscaled him to sixteen nine in this in this picture. Um, uh. In the nerve center, Tharg modestly asks for praise for stuff beyond slain. It can't just be slain compliments, guys. And announces the pause in Zenith and Beyond Zero production. This prog. There's pictures of Judge <sighs> Brigitte Nielsen and. Uh, Fred Tharkstone. Oh, that's and my most favorite. Of the still, it's pretty good. Most of the letters still praise Slane, though one says Zenith opening a Tesco in Hartlepool is impossible because there isn't a Tesco in Hartlepool. Oh, look at me with my pinky against my lip, pushing up my, my glasses to the top of my brow. Mm. Mm. The prog ends with a very nice star scan of a close-up of Dread by Ron Smith. The city Beautiful. is reflecting off his helmets, and if I have one complaint, it's that his helmet has six bars that are non-symmetrical on, like, on his helmet. His helmet shield. Not not good planning there. So good. But his, I will say his jaw is fantastic, and his frown, frownunculus. I mean, Ron Smith draws, you know, he he's a good, like, I, I always think of Ron Smith, like, like Ron Smith and Brian Bolland are the two, like, baseline draw, mm, dread, mm. Dr- like, 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 dread artists. Like, they're the guys that sort of provide, like, the clean, like, this is the basic dread um, look that um, other artists are sort of iterating on when they do their version of dread, I Absolutely. think. At, at least at, at at this point in the comic, at least. God, he's just um, got so many wrinkles for his frown. It's great. Absolutely. Yeah. Prog 635. Bug off, Terrans. Nigel uh, Dobbins <laughs> draws an angry generate on a starscape. In the nerve center, Tharg decides to make fun of something called Q Magazine for some reason. What? I'm going to assume it has something to do with Alan McKen- with a sub-editor, Alan McKenzie's love of music, because that's a music magazine. Mm. But- I don't know. Like I looked up, I looked up Q Magazine on Wikipedia, and all their controversies are from the 2000s onwards. We can't. It's, it's <laughs> apparently not something from '89. Um, there's pictures of an extremely frugal mean machine at four. I'm a real miser. Oh. Um, and a friendly looking Ucko. Letters include a man trying to get his wife to read 2000 AD. There's compliments for the 89 Dread Mega Special, which we had a we, 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 we covered in Prague 199, which I'm very excited about that episode. Um, others wonder that this very Prague might be someone's first. Hey, welcome. Mm. You know, especially if this is also your first episode of Space Spinner. Enjoy um, the episode. I am so sorry. 
Like, comment, subscribe. A final writer <laughs> suggests that 2000 AD become a full-color monthly comic for £1.25. Mm-hmm. Not quite yet, but when the Judge Ed magazine starts in a year, it'll be full-color monthly and a pound fifty. The prog ends with a pinup of Judged Insane. A uh, crazy, as you see, crazy Judge Barry and his little blue man buddy, Little Mo, ably drawn by Chris Weston. God, Little Mo is just so weird. It's the tummy, you know, with the no genitals. Mm-hmm. I mean, what what I really love about Chris Weston is just his ability to draw these people that just look really Insane. crazy and evil. You oh, know? Yeah, yeah, no, it's like, like he looked at Jack Nicholson and said, how can I put his face on here? I will say he's like, I would say uh, his greatest thing is just to drawing ominous lips on people. Like, very <laughs> disturbing mouths on every character when his, he wants to. His lips are so plush, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. Like, they're very, like, ah, oh, whatever. Um, Frog 636, put the pedal to the metal on Dead Juve's curb. A pair of fuzzy green dice is in danger from Dred's arrest on this cover by Colin <laughs> McNeil. You're under arrest for not being regulation red. Mm. In the nerve center, Thark says that while you might imagine him as om- omnipotent, he has trouble hitting deadlines and getting things written in time. Same. Uh, there's wow. <laughs> pictures of a very buff Judge Steroid and Ooh. a deeply messed up Thark the Ugly. Steroid? Children know about yeah. steroids? Yeah, I think it's a big deal in 89. Like, it's sort of something that's, like, entering the public consciousness hmm. of, like, big buff guys doing steroids and stuff. Oof. Um so uh, letters include lettering droid Gordon Robinson complaining about being made fun of in a recent letters column, which is kind of funny when these uh, droids actually write in. There's a question about the Judge Dredd movie, which is currently downshifting into development hell for a few years. Oh, wow. And to notice that someone is reading the comic Deadline in the middle of the uh, Cinnabar story. The prog ends with a rundown of 2080's offerings, 2080 every week, 2080 monthly, the 2080 annuals and specials, or, or sorry, the, the 2080 annual, and then the occasional specials. Mm. But speaking of stories that are kind of, that are only sort of special, Fox. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Throw five, Rogue Trooper. Hey, buddy. Hey, blue buddy. Send that bar, buddy. Uh, oh, script robot oh. John Smith, art robot Steve Dillon and Kevin Walker, Lang robot Gordon Robson is kid. And last episode. Oh, oh sorry, please. No, no, no. Okay. Uh, last episode, a restored rogue trooper got kicked into the gullet of the giant monster Charybdis, where he'll fight and die for the enjoyment of New Earth Free Zone Cinnabar. And much like a Cinnabon, this Tribdis thing is going to enjoy digesting him. Like a Cinnabon, it's actually larger than you might think and full of internal layers of ridiculousness. <laughs> wow. Um, we join him and the biochips getting their bearings. They don't have any explosives, night vision, or metapacks, but they are together as a team, and that's what matters. I mean, does it? Um, I feel like if they were on mute the whole time, things would be a-okay. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. They got to do some stuff. But uh, Rogue walks through the beast's mouth, studded with waist-high taste buds, and also notices that this thing's full of cameras watching his progress. They kind of have a conversation about mm. how they got the cameras in here also. Seems a lot that um, this organic gross thing has all these cameras in it. Mm. You know, it is for the enjoyment of the folks. The chips bicker, but suddenly pick up movement. Rogue opens fire and gets spit into a deeper part of the creature's gut. Oh, God, the lips. And, like, it has teeth, too, but, like, no yeah, eyes. It's, or anything. it's real gross. Mm-hmm. There they find a dead body. It's their buddy McCabe, who was killed by that weird tentacle monster on their oh, way yeah. to Cinnabar a couple episodes ago. How is that possible? That was, like, 10Ks away. 
Yeah, this Charybdis thing must be huge and spread out really far. Gunner yells at Bagman for getting all Richard Attenborough about all this. <laughs> While Rogue is confronted by a giant spiky mouth with a camera inside. Oh, they want to see all of the kills, all of the thrills, and get all of the power. <laughs> the host of the Charybdis show says Rogue has survived record 37 minutes, but now he's up against a capsule that is dropping spores and defended by robots. Oof. The robots grab Gunner, so Rogue has to pull out this mono-wire cutter God. out of Bagman and They're use it to gross. slice off the arms and legs off the robots, uh, very much like that dude in a Johnny Mnemonic. Yeah, it's just, yes, but also the things are so gross. They're like, they are, they are... Two robots. They're very like, much stuck terror together. robots. Oh, yeah. 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 He regains Gunner and moves through the Tribdis system, uh, drawing drawn forward by the beats of Tribdis's lymphatic hearts. He arrives in a sort of graveyard it's looking like thing honeycomb. full of dead bodies and hexagons. Yeah. Bagman thinks they're in a womb when Ooh. suddenly Biowire attacks. What the heck? Why is Biowire in here? Yeah, what's going on? Of course, it must have um, birthed it, right, guys? Gross. Rogue manages to avoid it, and Bagman theorized that, indeed, this is where the biowire comes from. Later, they're camping out, and Bagman explains. He theorizes that Cinnabar was a Nord research base working on genetic hybrids, in this case, an organism that eats metal and shits biowire, among <laughs> other things, basically a living factory. <laughs> yeah, that's right. We're going to have you eat metal and shit biowire by the time we're done with you. Absolutely, yeah. Um, But now it's just being used for entertainment, you know, whatever. Oh, God, um, I don't biowire entertain. I mean, I guess that comes back, actually. Don't let me. I mean, they don't even notice it because the TV screens go blank as as a Bagman explains this because it seems Rogue's um sort of been doing something, you know, s- saying secrets he shouldn't be. But it does seem like also he's been working on something for quite um, this whole conversation. The host orders a squad to go in and kill Rogue before he can do anything too crazy. They're sort of like, no way, man, we'll die in there too. He's like, go! Um, (laughs) And it's clear that Rogue is indeed about to do something crazy. In this case, patching Bagman into the Charybdis network to see what he can see. So just just before we continue. So this was a Nort monster that Mm -hmm. they made. Yes. Uh, And there was on the Souther side... Uh, a bunch of blue man group people that were made. Right. And when they got made, they were like, don't worry, we got these biochips for you. But in yeah. this norther fucking thing, you can biochip dial into a whatever. Or well, Oh, no, Bagman gave it to him, right? Yeah. Well, Sorry, I'll, that's I'll where say, I got confused. Because I was like, why the is there wh- this thing in there? <laughs> that says biochip. On one- on one hand, we have seen biochips jack into both um, Souther and Norton mm. um, systems. Like there was that one story that was basically oh, right. had like they became- Helm and Bagman like in cyberspace, basically. Yeah, like, yeah. like like, like they doing, electro doing some neuromancer shit. Yeah, or some Matrix shit in there. Um, and like there was also a time where when Rogue was leaving the Buzzard 3 like space station and the escape pod he was in had like was missing a protection chip and he like jammed like uh, one of the he, he jammed Bagman in there too and was able to, to survive because the chips were compatible mm. and stuff um, but we do kind of get a get, get we are kind of told that while Bagman's been working out what Charybdis is Rogue's been bit, bit, been been building something and apparently, from right. what I can tell, he's basically building a thing that will let him uh, 
uh, Jack Bagman into, into the Matrix here. I, I do like that it's got a touch-tone dial pad. <laughs> it's 1989, you know? <laughs> That's some new tech. <laughs> yeah, it's the future of the... It's the future through the past, I'm man. Su- I'm surprised he just didn't have a Betamax player. That's all. Always. Uh, Bagman jacks into, cri- into Tribdis oh, yeah, and things go nuts. Extremely John Smith writing kicks in <sighs> as Bagman... <laughs> Feels all the appendages and massive power of this gigantic organism. I am Charybdis. I mean, I'm not going to lie that where the start of this and where the end of this is, I feel like someone's a liar here and I'm not going to say who, but they did do a genocide. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, the uh, He's coming home to Cinnabar. The host is trying to keep the crowd busy with an animal act when suddenly a giant spike explodes through the floor, through his arm. More tentacles made of inch-thick biowire explode oh. through the crowd, ripping and tearing them to pieces. But, back you know. inside the... <laughs> yeah, bad times. Uh, back inside Rogue, screaming for Bagman to find him a way out of Charybdis as Cinnabar commandos arrive and start firing on Rogue. They've got coil bombs! That doesn't Rogue sound good. Pleads for help, and suddenly the walls come alive and bite the commandos' heads off. I mean, it's basically like the alien mouth things, except all from organic mm. walls that then bite heads and arms. It's like so gruesome. They bite their heads and arms, and then inject their bodies with nano-sized oh, right. biowire coils, and basically like whisking them to to pulp from the inside I, out. Essentially. I forgot about it. I read all of this. Like I read every single thing, and just every detail is just worse than what they actually show in the pictures, which is also yeah. fucking violent. Yeah, Bagman's killing everybody and getting sadistic with his near godlike as his near godlike powers grow. In 20 minutes, he's leveled the city, reduced it to rubble and a forest of razor sharp te- trees with dozens of corpses hanging off them. Ugh. He's building robots that wander the city and uh, autonomously hungry for blood. We get a few images of oh, terror and monstrous fear. Nothing escapes alive. Ugh. In the aftermath, we see Rogue and the chips heading out. It seems the GI just pulled Bagman out of the system, and who knows what he'd have done otherwise. It's like he was playing <sighs> with these people, not not just trying to kill them or anything like well, that. And that's not the just thing. war, but like, like you know, bag- sport. Like Bagman's just like, oh, I don't even know what the fuck happened. It's just like I got so lost, and it was so insane in there. And it's just like I don't, I don't know, man. Yeah, let's remember that that Bagman is a damaged chip yes. who has gone kind of crazy sometimes in the past. You yes, know? Um, Gunner isn't fussed, man. It's just war, you know. Now, Gunner's yeah, never uh, fussed about anything that looks like quite literally homicide or genocide. Yeah, welcome to New Earth, I guess. Yeah. Um, the end of Cinnabar. <laughs> what a way to fucking end that one, buddy. Seriously, yeah, this is the end of um of of New Earth Rogue Trooper. Basically, as I've said before, the hit story will be concluded in the pages of the 2080 Winter Special an episode. Sure. I'm very excited about, and in Prague 650, we'll get a look at the War Machine, a complete Rogue Trooper reboot, written by Dave Gibbons with art by Will Simpson. Good. Okay. Um, I mean, that's, it's got its moments. That's, the the pause before that was enough for me. That's fine. I'll enjoy it. I I'd say that. I, Actually, like um, Beyond Zero, I think the War Machine story specifically gets really hurt by being cut into like four different, three or four different parts. That's a really Um, unfortunate. 
Yeah, it is. And, um, and then, but then, like, I don't know, like, th- this new rogue trooper is not very well remembered, is what I'll say. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like, I, I mean, what, what sucks is that I feel like where we just ended just now was one of the few times where I was like, that, that is some fucking, like, turning the mirror on rogue trooper shit right there, mm-hmm. where they could have just made a sentence where, where you know... That Bagman was kind of off, and the other chips were talking to Rogue and just being like, "Ah, fuck, he's a damaged ship, man." That was the last person yeah. you should have put in there. Yeah, what do you, I was, I was going to mm. ask, what do you think about this Cinnabar story generally? I guess. Uh, uh, so of course I thought it was going somewhere. If that makes sense, uh-huh. like uh, yeah, like more more traction, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, how it ended was masterful. Uh, they didn't stick the landing 100%, so I'd say like 7 out of 10, which is more mm-hmm. than I would normally rate like a Rogue Trooper story. Kind of sure. see what I mean? Like, yeah. Because it, it, the problem with Rogue Trooper ultimately for me has never been that Rogue Trooper or the chips are a boring concept, right? Like, mm-hmm. that's actually a, a fairly interesting concept. Um I think it's marred by three things. First, that the chips never actually, like, grow in any sort of way, right? There's no reflection about... Uh, it, they just say the same shit. They're the same character. Yeah. They always want their bodies back. They kind of give Rogue a hard time, but they never grow as being inside yeah. of this. Whereas what, what I felt, especially as I was reading Bagman going insane, I'm like, oh, fuck, it's because he got fucked up that one time and now he's just fucked up and they'll understand that at the end and just be like more wary of Bagman. like how can we trust this ship uh that didn't mm-hmm. happen again no it's they're just seven. sort of like whoa like war yeah. as hell you know the second thing that mars uh rogue trooper is that there is a constant fluctuation of the focus of the story when a story is going hmm. on it's focused ish but they never uh-huh. stick to a particular beat and they never let Rogue truly, at least after the first run, truly, like, kind of explore anything that they're setting up. Does that make sense? <laughs> like, they cut it yeah, off kind of partway through. It's like, oh, here's this general and he's sending you on these missions. Ah, never mind. Right? Oh, there are these aliens. And like, ah, never mind. Right? Like, it's it's just so cut off before it can really express itself fully. And then finally, yeah. the biggest problem is Rogue. Like, Rogue... Hmm. personally doesn't grow as a character despite all of these things i think he's the he is the best part of the entirety of everything because he is constantly just like this is so fucked but then his mind is immediately changed because of chips Hmm. or like he doesn't hearken back to anything unless it's like kind of the first few issues of what he's in yeah so it's it's not that Rogue is bad. Actually, I feel like Rogue has this kind of limitless potential, and I actually prefer the older <laughs> Rogue um, to any of the newer Rogues. The newer Rogues hmm. are the parts where I feel like, okay, this is now interesting again, but then it's all dropped, right? Yeah. Whereas the older Rogues, it definitely had something to say about war, if yeah, that I mean, makes sense, and they, it, and it yeah, let it I- breathe. Yeah, at least they'd see things through. Yeah, um, in in the Jerry Finley Day days, um, I will like. I think for me, like, um, I like this story as a story. I guess. Um, yes. Like, I think it's really interesting seeing Rogue be weak, which is something we rarely see oh, in that's his stories. Yeah. 
like just the uh, and, 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 and like the idea of like you know him being carried basically to this settlement and then having to make a deal with the devil to come back to life and having this big fight that ends in this really well like like you know horrifically written but like well written but but oh, yeah. you know with full full of horror kind of final thing it's, um that's I think I, that's all really great sorry, please like as a John Smith, like as this, you know, it feels very in keeping with um, the way John Smith writes things. This, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and his sort of artistic style as a writer and stuff. And you know, of course, like Steve Dillon and Kev Walker are great artists. So it's all that, all that stuff's great. I would say, and this is an argument I generally don't like Fox, sure, but it it's not a very good Rogue Trooper story, is what I want to say. Yeah, like. Because Rogue's just so like sorry I'm I'm um this is sort of an argument that uh that a friend of the show Stephen Reed sort of discussed previously I I, mm. I saw on uh on on social media but I really agree with it that Rogue feels very passive all through this story mm. like he's being carried around by the, like he's either like like dying and being carried around by the chips and those mm. uh, and those Souther soldiers. Or like he's sort of being taught, you know, being forced to make a deal and then being tossed into Charybdis. Sure. And like then the, the the final fight is basically all handled by Bagman sort of taking control of this thing and stuff like that, you know. So uh, so as a story about Rogue, it's sort of – it's a weird change or it, it's an unusual change and one that doesn't really put Rogue him, himself in a great light as, as the hero, I guess. So, so I suppose like a, a – a, so there are two parts of that where – where I agree, actually, emphatically, I think some setup explaining like Rogue is fucking tired and uh, like mm-hmm. of everything would have done this whole beginning of of kind of the the prologue to everything going on would have done it a sure. huge service just saying like, you know, he's beaten down, he's done, he's been through a thousand things that got randomly canceled. <laughs> but alternatively, this is the kind of story that I expected to see out of Rogue Trooper. Mm. especially at the beginning where war isn't hell war is disgusting and it's gruesome and horrible shit happens to an nth degree right yeah like sure you can say like hey it's new earth and all these people and gas and and what the fuck ever but it's so on the nose and everyone's also constantly protected from it you just gotta crack their visor whereas this was quite literally war makes people do a genocide or a super murder. And I'm okay with that being the allegory for the Vietnam War, right? Mm, um, yeah. As opposed to Bl- Venus Blue Jeans and her hot girl island. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, that's just a that's just a, a, an interlude. Well, you know? sure. But I think but, it's, in, but you know, it's an interesting thing. Yeah. Sorry. sorry go ahead. No, no. I, I'm just saying my point is that he's not James Bond in that case. Yeah, definitely. I mean, and I, well, yeah. And I think a key, like a, an important thing to remember, actually, is that um, I think when, like, this is sort of might might be a UK US divide kind of thing, sure. actually, because when um, Brits talk about war being hell, they're talking less about Vietnam and more about like their like ancestral memories of World War One, basically, oh, yeah. or World War Two, like sort Where of like gas, you know, I mean, that was a huge like, deal. Yeah, like like the blitz, like mm. bar, like like barbed wire trenches and gas and artillery and things like that. Mm. You know, those are like and so I think partially that might be something that kind of puts Rogue at a distance for us, like, like you and me. I guess just because our kind of tropes of war being hell are are different. 
than 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 British ones. That's you know? so interesting because I had I mean I I literally hadn't thought of it that way, and I think at least got, yeah, I mean, I, no, I feel like you've you've yeah. actually got a pretty good hook on that because I feel like that feels pretty correct because they don't really because like you know. Brits don't, like, I mean, they, they they certainly have their own colonial adventures and stuff like that that have gone bad. But um, they don't have Vietnam as this sort of cultural touchstone. Oh, man, that's very The way that I think Americans do, especially like in this era, you know, when you're, you know, mostly what they have for that is sort of the media reflected from it. The movies that are starting to come out in the late 80s, like like like, like Platoon or Apocalypse Now or something oh, like that. That's so interesting. As opposed to like, like it actually being like sort of something. Something that you know, the like 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 their vets aren't coming from that. They're from like the Falklands or something like that. Oh. It's, just, it's just a different perspective. You know what I'm trying to say? Yeah, exactly. No, I think that's such a that's such an enlightened way of kind of like thinking about it. I, regardless but of that's if we're why, right like, or wrong, like that. Yeah, that's such an interesting context to put it in because the first place my mind went was this was the first time I was like really bought into the end of rogue, of a rogue trooper <laughs> segment where it was just I mean, holy the, shit. Yeah. And that's kind of and and that might be the difference of having John Smith in here of him mm. like sort of having a more a more modern look at things and stuff like that. You know, I mean, back in the day, you have Jerry Finley Day, who's literally coming to Rogue Trooper after writing a thousand World War II stories. You know, uh, so yeah, yeah, like he's you know that, that that that's like his thing. So it's very much like sort of what he specialized in. So you know, yeah, you, different flavors. Uh, I think it's sort of something that. You know, we talk about sometimes on the show, but I think it's always so it, it's important to keep in mind. Just, no, yeah, it's these, really fascinating. These, these sort of like two countries divided by a common language, sort of like little cultural differences well, and, between and even, U.S. and U.K. And even just the differences in, in time period, you know, mm-hmm. it's yeah, or, I mean, or writers, yeah. for God's sake. Definitely writers. Yeah, you sort of it's 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 fun to sort of. One of the things I love, because like, like like I've said a lot, like I don't know a lot about art, like sort of ha- the words and like how to notice a lot of like how to really differentiate a lot of things in art. Like I sort of, you know, I, I know what I like and I can see differences, but it's hard for me to articulate them. But I know a lot about writing. And so I try to like, you know, that's something I, I, I keep an eye out for, for sure. I oh, know. That's fascinating, <laughs> man. I hadn't even thought about that. And that was just really enlightening. Thank you. Yeah. And speaking of uh, amazing art changes, Fox, <laughs> let's right. talk about Thrill 7 Anderson Side Vision. <sighs> it's beautiful. I mean, I think yeah, so. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. Script robot Alan Grant, art robot Arthur Ranson, letter robot C. Putter. Yeah, that wasn't uh, sar- sarcastic. Arthur Ranson in the house. Very excited for him to show up on Man, the podcast I, here. I'll, I'll be honest, and I know that this sounds so damning, but it's so Mach Zero for me. Just the darkness aspect of everything. Mm. It really yeah, sets so he's a got tone. That- Especially in these night and dream sections yes. in this episode. Yes, exactly. Like, you know when the bad is happening. You know. Yeah, it's got it's it, it's got that that kind of mo- that, that 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 kind of Mike Dory dark yeah, kind of feel to yeah. it. Absolutely, it's, it's so good. You you know when it's a nice hobo doing a giant speech because he's so well lit, but you know when the dark <laughs> stuff is happening because there's a skullman. Yeah, um, Arthur Rancid, Yeah, he's it, it is, it's his first time, or I, I believe it's his first time in the podcast. He's got this realistic art style. It's going to mm. do some amazing stuff in the Very pages noir. of both the Prague and the magazine. Yeah, he draws a ton of Anderson. He's like the uh, he becomes one of the key Anderson artists. Oh, as that's the years great because I love it. Like yeah, noir um, size story. That's beautiful. Definitely. Yeah, he's just got this photorealistic style. That's really great. Um, 
So this story is called Triad. We see a phantom figure walking the streets of Mega City One, hitching a ride. He gets picked up, but soon reveals himself to be a skeleton in a trench coat with a knife. Oh, I'm gonna gotcha. Yeah, take this, He-Man. You're going to hell. Oh, my God. He attacks the driver, causing the car to crash, then disappears. Meanwhile, in the middle of the night, two girls wake up frightened. They've just had a nightmare about this situation. Their mother calms them down and puts them back to bed. Meanwhile, the judges are investigating the crash, making the witness take a breathalyzer. Um, Judge Anderson arrives in heavy sigh rain gear because it's raining that night. And Dredd has her – and uh, Dredd, who's on the scene, has her scan the body's mind for clues. I love how she's the one with the hood and he's just the one getting wet the whole time. Yeah, he'll just get rained on. Well, I mean, because he's got the helmet. You know, Anderson doesn't wear one because of her side power. So no, she's that's got fair. The, the but rain he's stuff. also got, like, open neck. Dredd doesn't care, man. This is just adding on to his tight boots, you know? Um, so you got to lubricate those tight boots. Why not? The, wit- uh, the uh, witness gets five years for drunk driving as mm. Anderson dives into the brain and finds a strange skull made like has this neat effect that look- looks like it's like a shredded paper that's been reassembled in the man's mind. <laughs> it began with a phantom, and by the time it was over, a thousand more people would die. It began with a phantom, you furry fucking idiot. Oh, Skeletor's so foul-mouthed. <laughs> I, I, I was going to say furry uh, something fool, but yeah, didn't. Felonious? <sighs> I mean, I made Skeletor we'll say, epi- I made in, the, in the Skeletor part. say an F-bomb. I'm very upset. Yeah, bold. Um, not ready for Saturday morning players. Um <laughs> With Dread back in color, um, in the middle of the prog, Anderson moves to the front. In the Norm Brayfogel block, named for the American comics artist that was currently working with writer um, with writer droid Alan Grant on Detective Comics at this at this time, um, we see a boy um, talks about someone he hates, and then a man bursts into his room and tells him to go to sleep. Oh, God, I hate this so much, especially because he uses the fucking metal part of the belt uh seriously yeah the boy had a bad dream and is drawing it and it's clearly the phantom from the previous prog and the man throws it away and takes off his belt seriously do not hit your kids with a goddamn just don't hit your kids it's illegal and even in mega city one uh the kid's mother tries to intervene but he bowls through her and swings and swings back as we cut to the accident scene anderson confirms there is a spook or ghost of some kind typical death figure but can't find a cause it's um, a skeleton with that ra- Skeleton, spooky, scary skeletons. Um, that wrapped up dread heads off into the rainy night and anderson follows on her own later those two girls from Last Prague have a dream. They float through the city in their nightgowns, sort of as ghostly shapes. They're named Coran and Leslie, though it seems they have difficulty um, differentiating between each other. It's kind of a weird twin yeah. thing. Um, they ghost walk through a wall into this bar called Ronnie Scott's, where <laughs> it's Burns Night, which places this episode, this story right on January 15th, the traditional celebration of Scottish poet Robert Burns. Oh. And they're having haggis because of it. Oh. Um, the host starts off with a poem. First, he does a, a st- one called To a Mouse, but then does starts the traditional address to a haggis poem. Because he's a big Scottish poet, so he's got some big Scottish poems. Um, they're all written in brogue or, or like a <laughs> like like a Scottish colloquial talk. talk as as, as, as um, uh, it's got that do. big Scott energy. 
at this super big Scott energy. But then the bad thing comes. Oh, man. A hole. I never thought yeah. a baboon goat would be terrifying until it baboon actually demon. happened in yeah. front of me. Um, a hole is punched through the wall and a demon baboon goat comes out. Burns, Knight. I'll give you a burns. And everybody catches a flame oh, as the God. girls look on terrified and the monster laughs. On her bike. Anderson gets a side flash and rides to investigate. Grud on a greenie. Trouble at Ronnie, Mc- Ronnie McScott's. <laughs> who's, who's never wanted to say that before? Next time, Red Hot McScott. Fucking, it, great. I love Anderson. Uh, terrifying baboon demon goat. Don't ever want to see that. Now, uh, now uh, I'm good. I never need to see it again. Yeah. Thank you very much for giving me a nightmare very, monkey. Very spooky ghosts. We see these these three kids, the two twins and the one kid that's getting abused I, by his dad or something. Do you know what I love be- is that they really trick you with the triad kind of mm. like lettering. I was like, oh, you guys are going to do a racist. And then they just didn't. It's again, you start kind of clicking it together. You're like, oh, yeah, yeah. It's not like it's, it's not like the Hong Kong triad. Exactly. You fight in like uh, in the in the Yakuza games or whatever. I'm it's super so, proud of them of doing this kind of like fooled you. You know what I mm-hmm. mean? This is really yeah, good. Definitely. It's, I, I yeah, love it's Anderson's interesting. Side division, and I love the art. And the writing, oh, and yeah. the all of it. Yeah, it's a real great, real great opening to this story. I'm, pretty, mm. I'm, I'm excited to see how it goes. We'll get the whole thing sort of before we get to 650. So you know, it's a very exciting story. Speaking of uh, ladies having adventures, Fox. Oh yeah, let's go to Thrill Eight: Tales from the Doghouse. Oh man, I love, I love this uh, many-armed yeah. lady. Maeve, totally the many-armed, yeah. right? Maeve, 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 of the... The Ma- Maeve of the many-arms, yeah. yeah. Oh, shit, hold on a second, Fox. <laughs> We're rewinding. <laughs> Actually, speaking of female characters, we should go to when I skipped, Thrill 6, Medivac 318. Also a good one. I, I have so many things to ask about non-destructible containers. <laughs> Yeah, listen. Uh, script about Hillary Robinson, art about Nigel Dobb, and letter about Jack Potter. A lady wakes up in the middle of the night <gasps> hearing a voice, and she's told that tomorrow will be the final battle, the start of the final battle for the planet Zygote as they're approaching the Generat HQ. Mm. She's Jay, uh, this blonde lady we've seen a couple times communicating with somebody um, An unknown on the somebody. planet. Yeah, here on the space station of Medivac 318, the uh, hospital space station. Um, she's communicating with someone named Perry. Jay, Jay gets dressed and tells the hospital administrator, an alien, to expect heavy casualties. So he orders stable patients to be evacuated. We see this in action and check in on our friend Verity from the previous story. Mm-hmm. Um, and that uh, um, pilot um, who has his heart stopped by the Generat poison. Random folks talk about what the end of the war might mean as Jay talks to an alien and alienese. Suddenly, Jay senses something and runs out of the room, shouting, Generate! Oh, man. I, you know, because uh, I'm sure we'll get to this. I love that so far, Medivac has not just been one character. Does that make sense? No. Yeah, it's, it's real moving good. around to a bunch of different characters. Definitely. It's, it's, a, it's real a, good. It's a rare ensemble um, story in mm-hmm. 2000 AD. 
the Generat um, are are aboard the ship. They sort of Trojan horse their way in on an ambulance, on a stolen ambulance, and they're shooting everybody up. The administrator seals the level as the Generats break into the hospital section and assume everybody in the beds are being experimented on. Jay speaks to them in Generate, trying to explain the situation while broadcasting calm. The Generate leader says that he's lost family to human medical experiments. And while Jay tries to calm them down, he's just getting more and more agitated. Eventually, it tosses Jay some kind of grenade, which she sort of tosses Man. away. It seems that the Generate have left and Jay, or have been killed, and Jay radios that the Generate have left booby traps all over the station, these sort of... Uh, uh, touch bombs that you know you touch mm. them and then they'll explode in, in, into anti-personnel shred. And shreds, they basically. made them specifically or put them specifically in places where people would accidentally touch, knock, whatever. Yeah, they're they're definitely in high traffic areas designed to maximize casualties. Um, she to deal with them, she gets a blast. She sort of orders a lockdown and gets a blast-proof box from a tech, Which- and then walks the station. Finding bombs and using uh, uh, mental powers to br- to pick them up and dispose of them in this box. What is it? I mean, it- <laughs> I want a blast-proof box. <laughs> I mean, there could be like you know, it's it's the future, man. No, there could be like sort of rare materials that are incredibly durable or something. Listen, like man, that. I I love Star Trek. I can believe there's a blast-proof box. I'm just really happy and- that there's a blast-proof box. Like, I think even in real life, they have something like that, like sort of like something that's real, like a real heavy, thick box that they use to dispose of bombs and things like that. I don't think they just sort of let those things explode where they're supposed to be, I guess. I think Um, my favorite part is the wump that goes on inside the box. Definitely. Yeah, that's real good. And like, honestly, I bet these are like, since they're anti-personnel bombs, they might not actually be that explosive or instead of sort of propelling shrapnel and stuff. That's kind of interesting. Like, it's just meant to deal as much damage as possible as opposed to just be a world-ending bomb. They're they're not Dan Dare. They're more of just a regular (laughs) army unit. Yeah, well, I mean, I mean, it's it, it's like a lot of like I don't know, like like sort of anti personnel weapons. Like you know, if they were gonna, if the bombs were big enough to explode, they just destroy the space station with them. You know, mm-hmm. these are more sort of designed to cause terror and and casualties. Yeah. Um. Anyway, <laughs> it seems she's got empathic communication mostly with her partner and limited telekinesis. Fair enough with these superpowers. Next time in Medivac three one eight, fly me to the moon. Let me so explode on. among the stars. <laughs> Fight a war among the stars. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> so just making sure I'm not skipping anything else. All right, now <laughs> I guess we're in we're we're in kind of a female character uh, power hour here, Fox. Without yeah. me even realizing it. Yeah. So we go to Thrill Eight. Tales from the Doghouse. Yee, yee. <clears throat> Script about Hillary Robinson, art about Simon Jacobs, letter about Tom Frame. So, lots from Hillary Robinson and Strontium Dog in Prague 636. Uh, this time, we see the return of May of the Many Arms, last seen in Prague 617618, Prague, or episode 198. Uh, Maeve is a Celtic warrior with five arms, we see, as she travels on a coop pulled by a pair of shadow hounds. We'll learn that they're called next episode called Ian and John Paul. It's so the best. It's just (laughs) got these arms. It's just the best. No, the coop. Like she's just in a car being pulled by iron horses or whatever the fuck they're called. It's just great. I love it. Ten out of ten. 
She arrives at a farm full of barnyard mutants. There's a horse dude and a chicken dude and their leader's a bull dude. He offers her a hundred credits and then a thousand after some light threats well, to know. take somebody out, namely Niall of the Nine Sausages, a <laughs> norm that has stolen Oof. all their pigs, and his name is a reference to ancient Irish High King Niall of the Nine Hostages. I was going to say, no one wants to be called the Nine Sausages. You know, references. Um, Maeve has a plan, namely her horses will impersonate pigs while she hides nearby so she can take out the pig thieves. In in a bale All of se- hay. It's pretty cute. Definitely. Yeah, real Assassin's Creed stuff. Oh. All seems to go well, but when she gets the drop on two of the thieves, a third comes up from behind and cold cocks her with a sausage, very similar to Conrad playing Assassin's Creed. Um, <laughs> Ian and Paul are taken away as Maeve lies on the ground unconscious. Next time, sausage meat. Oh, man. I really hope her horse dogs aren't turned into sausages. Yeah, come on. Um Next, hey, and, and and let's do some more mutant action, Fox. Oh, okay. With Welcome. Thrill Nine Strontium Dog. <sighs> Welcome back to us dealing with new character. Yeah, we're we're rolling things through here. Um, back in the uh, script, robot Alan Grant, art robot Simon Harris, and letting robot Gordon Har- Gordon Robson his kid. We're back in the saddle with Strontium Dog, the final solution. We last saw mutant bounty hunters Johnny Alpha and Midface McNulty narrowly beat cool new kid mutant Feral and have now and, and, and now repaired to an abandoned building to try to talk some sense into him. He's got Feral a pen that, called I Heart Hope. <laughs> just to be clear. Fair enough. Got the he's he he's he got all these uh badges or pins or whatever you want to call mm-hmm. them. Uh Feral thinks they're just hired killers for the humans, but Johnny manages to convince them uh to convince them otherwise. And a limited piece is found between the uh, two, the uh, three characters. Hmm. You see new church members rounding up mutants to go to Stonehenge as the bounty hunters introduce themselves, and the uh, yeah the the churchers demand volunteers or face heavy beatings. In ten Feral- seconds, they have to fill up a bunch of trucks. Fuck you. Seriously, Pharaoh goes out to fight them, but the dog suggests a smarter way, namely throw a bunch of concussion grenades and then go fight them. Feels good. <laughs> Feels feels <laughs> that is the most strontium dog move you can make. We're not sending yeah. them a bunch of times into the past. No, we want to concuss them so literally we could beat them a little before we drive away. Oh, Definitely. and also it's it's Johnny Alpha so that they'll focus on me instead of you guys. Yeah. They commandeer the churcher's truck and tell the townsfolks of Milton Keys to tell those churchers that Johnny Alpha's here and he wants answers. Bug off. They get in the truck, Farrell coming with them, and it's time to head out. Next time, remember Nelson? Uh, nope. Oh, I think you do. Maybe? Do you remember the name of Johnny Alpha's father, perhaps? Oh, no. Nelson Bunker Creelman? Creelman is back? It's complicated, and and just so you know, we'll uh, be with these dogs for a couple weeks, Fox, and we should finish up this first part of the final solution before we get to prog 650 oh 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 interesting okay okay nah. uh and you know i guess speaking of uh stories coming to an end fox oh god <laughs> let's finish up with thrill 10 future shocks oh god it really should have been called future shocks this one shocking buddy <sighs> script robot mike collins art, art robot chris weston about tom Pr- Tom Frame. Yeah. Four pages I think and so much text. 
These feel like some big future shocks that they just kind of got Chris we- Chris Weston to do early on. We're going to get another another big one by him next episode, at least one more. I, I just feel um, like all the fucking like fashion parts could have just been cut out, you know? Yeah, I mean, on like honestly, I think most of this story is just a showcase of Chris Weston drawing oh, crazy stuff basically. That's fair. Um yeah, but we got a weird little four-pager here. Uh, the aliens on the planet La- uh, Lanwin have lived in peace and harmony for 25 centuries, ever since the War of the Trees, which no one remembers. Mm. After centuries of fads and weirdness, most recently growing flowers out of y- out your head, mm. um, Ogmore Evok, the planet's chief archaeologist, has made a discovery, an ancient prophecy. It is- says that in two months, the goldfish will come and change all their lives, bring an end to war and poverty and strife. Great. Um, yeah, w- way better. So quick, let's all get fishy to make things look nice for it. <laughs> let's get fishy. Get fishy in here. <laughs> Soon goldfish day comes and there's ba- – or godfish day comes and there's fish baiters everywhere. Everyone's wearing <laughs> fish costumes. People They're- are getting healed from a distance. Oh, my bum knee works because of the godfish. People baiting all over the place. <laughs> Whoa. Everyone's getting stoked as Ogmore translates more of this text, but there's something he missed. Oh, no. It's not a godfish that'll end all of our struggles through a golden age. It's a giant goldfish that's going to end all of our struggles by eating us. Whoops. It's a goldfish. A goldfish. (laughs) 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 Whoops. Not godfish, goldfish. Because we're all just, right. we're all just delicious things that someone shakes into a giant bowl of fish yep. stuff, dried brine shrimp, and so forth. Is that really Fox, what worlds are? Possible. Whoa, think about it. Uh, and that said, Fox, we've reached the end of our oh, coverage oh my of God. Prox six three six 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 three three to six three six, June and July nineteen eighty nine. And so I must know. Oh. What are your top and bottom thrills? How, Tell me them. How could four-fifths of this entire thing be so great and the, <laughs> the last one-fifth be so disappointing? And here is what I'll <laughs> say, my man, because so much of Yo. this, so much of this was so good. So, and mm-hmm. this is not me speaking bad on my boy Zenith, but my boy Zenith was not here for so long. So, the real tops. Oh, man. The real tops, the people who deserve to be there. We're talking Judge Dredd. We're mm. we're talking Solanya. And uh, to be honest, here are my honorable mentions. They're not going to get top, but they're certainly not going to be on bottom. We're talking about our okay. Beyond Zeros. We're talking about our Andersons. We're talking about our New Earth flashbacks with my boy, the Bloomin'. Like, so much of of what I read, and what well, what we read, is fantastic. Yeah. Now, here's the deal. How do I choose between Judge Dredd and Slain? Here's what I do. I choose Slain. Fair. Masterful artwork. Interesting setup for the story. And then they left me on a fuck you cliffhanger. Like, what do you think I'm going to do? I'm excited. I'm excited to see where this goes. Like, the story quite literally is great. Although... To be honest, his ex-wife could have been a little bit more understanding. Maybe the new dude who came to save you wasn't... I mean, he's not known for his cunning, you know? 
<laughs> I feel no, I I disagree, man. I feel like Slane is known for like being a tricky scammer. I feel like he's known for being a real dick. <laughs> yeah. Just not just not the smartest dick. You know, mm, that might be it. I feel like I'm seeing trickiness, but you're talking about intelligence. The and man, that is the man, not slain smart. The man would have waited script. until her her hubby to be was just completely eaten and then shown up. So he was like, "Man, I don't want to fight yeah. that guy." Yeah, no, and both intel. He did take both intelligence and, and wisdom as dump stats for sure. Oh yeah, but that said, you know, the, oh, you know what? I didn't give another special mention medevac, which feels mm. so great. Uh, but, oh wow! You know, I I just there's so much of this that I did a love on, so that does not leave much for me to shit on here, right? Like a yeah. lot of this is so great, and so uh, I mean I can't say it's Strontium Dog, and I can't say it's like Tales from the Doghouse, and since I've said so many things, I like I'm just gonna yeah. Back- I feel like I'm trying to find find some find some daylight here. Oh no, I know. <laughs> I'm backing girl. into a corner, and for the first time in a long time, I'm gonna say that it was only in one prog, and I'm gonna say the Godfish was literally the least favorite thing that I read. In the oh entire damn! Thing. A future shock as your bottom. I, wow, well, that's a pretty not that, that that that's high praise for this episode. Actually, I think <laughs> I no. It's literally that I can't give anything else a bottom spot. Like, Mm. all of it was something where I was tracking through it. I was excited about where things are going. Anything that got cut short. uh, I mean, like, you could give it to Judge Dredd because I guess, like, technically PJ maybe wasn't half of it. But I don't, I'm not going to make complicated decisions like that, man. I'm going to talk about the thing that I literally did not want to read the most. And it was the most verbose, but very beautiful, but very verbose thing that just was like a goldfish pun. I'm good. I'm I'm honestly, I'm good. So quite frankly, Conrad, while this is not surprising, I must ask you, because it matters Mm. to me. Unlike everybody else who's listening, they don't, they don't care. They don't love you the way that I do. Ah, oh, thanks, buddy. What were your top and bottom thrills? Um, I, I will join you as Slain is my top. Just real good. Solid and I'm sad to see it dirty. go for a couple episodes. So I'm happy. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll happily afford it, that uh, top thrill. It's so, so For wonderful. all the reasons you mentioned, it's, it's fun. Um, I think for my bottom, Ooh. Ooh. I think... I'm. I'll stand by my my standard rules and convictions, Fox. Um, I think, but in the end, <laughs> I think I'm gonna give Rogue Trooper my bottom. I think I can feel like, that. I, can I feel don't that a bit. really want to give it to stories that we've only had for um, one prog, like one one, 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 one prog. You know, <laughs> looking at you, Strontium Dog, as always, um, yeah. or even uh, uh, um, whatever other stuff. But like, um, but yeah, I feel like. Um, Rogue, Didn't stick the like, landing. Yeah, and I feel well. I feel like it's just sort of a weird rogue trooper story, and it's very mm. much like I would give it like like a B in comparison to Zenith Slain and wrote and uh, and a Dread, which were sort of the other contenders. I agree the, with in, that in, in, in the nominating process. Like it's just not up to snuff for the other other things. Very mm. much feels like you know it's the final like a original rogue trooper story for a very long time and kind of shows like, yeah, we're sort of, you know, it's the final nail the wheels are off this wagon. Like we're sort of, you know, we got one last story to tell and then we're out of here. It, it was our best conversation for the evening. I'd say. Oh, definitely. Yeah. But you know, I can't just <laughs> get points why. for what, for what we bring yes. to the story. No, of course. It's most entertaining what, um, and certainly not least entertaining 
Or no, it is least entertaining. <laughs> not, yeah. Not most in this case. Just wasn't feeling the thrills, buddy. Ooh. Anyway, <laughs> I hope you enjoyed the show. As always, you can find Space Spinner 2000 on iTunes, Stitcher, and everybody else as well. Uh, <laughs> the Google Play Store, Spotify, or a podcast site, spacespinner2000.com. Feel free to contact us, spacespinner2000 at gmail.com. <gasps> the 2080 forums or our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter pages, you look up Space Spinner 2000, you'll find us there. We're right? always Space Spinner there. 2K on Twitter. We're yeah. always there. Come back next time as Anderson doles out some mercy killings oh. and not one, but two thrills. Oh my God. Two thrills have Anderson mercy killings next episode. Okay. War is hell in Medivac 318. The Ant War comes to Mega City <gasps> 1. Ant Wars. And we'll learn some evil backstory in Strontium Dog. But is it the Ant Wars or is it an Ant War? An Ant War. No. Okay. Also Mean Arena. Also Mean Arena Returns. I, I, there's matches. nothing I need to... I, you don't need to say that to me. I didn't need Ooh. to know that. Feel it! <laughs> Appreciate it! Oh, Until then, I'm Conrad. He's Fox and we are Space Spinner 2000. Splendid Splendid